Welcome to the newest episode of the Big Rhetorical Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Woods. It's been almost two weeks since the Biden administration was sworn into office. Dozens of executive orders have undone some of the damage inflicted by the previous administration, including halting construction on the Dakota Access Pipeline. D-A-P-L. One of my earliest graduate school projects analyzed the rhetorics of place and space of the D-A-P-L. Admittedly, I'm not an expert on the D-A-P-L, and this project was a few years ago now. However, I learned about the anger and anguish felt by the indigenous people affected by its construction, and that stuck with me. Like many of you, I rejoiced when Biden's executive order was signed. As Congress moves into the second impeachment of Donald Trump, and inevitably, the news cycle transitions from the inauguration honeymoon and the GameStop battle on Wall Street, are you invested? We need to continue to amplify the good work of the current administration. So far, putting facts first, masks on, and relying on the science are steps in the right direction. And kudos to Jen Pizaki, aka CJ Craig. What a breath of fresh air, of composure, of intelligence. Is the Biden administration perfect? No. Are we going to continue to hold them accountable? We must. Will I see another day when my children die by the pen or live by the blade? My people catching so many bullets, I don't know who to save, who to save, who to save, who to save now. Stop Jackson. Today on the podcast, I talked to Alexander Williams, a master's candidate in literature and a member of the Engaged Arts and Humanities Scholars cohort at CU Boulder. Do I go to the ask for my freedom? What's the point of rules if you don't even read them? They label us hunters, turn just to kill us. Slaughtered our people and called us sinners. Y'all butchered our name and then ate it for dinner. Cause it's hard to lose when you're already a winner. I got red on my skin like I won't be missed. Like red Alexander's poetry and scholarship is heavily rooted in hauntology. And as a musician, he explores the persona created by the black male rapper in the United States. Because the persona created by the black male rapper in the United States is, for all intents and purposes, a social experiment, Alexander's work becomes the ultimate case study for his scholarly pursuits as a poet, persona, and critic. In addition, To deepening his creative canon, Alexander also conducts community projects and wellness workshops designed for students of color. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Alexander Williams. Or fantastic. 
Yes, you mentioned you're from California. What part of California are you from? I uh, like the LA area, Lancaster. Okay, I I don't know anything about Los Angeles, so fill me uh-huh. in. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, the, what do you really want to know? <laughs> so uh, you grew up and you went in in Lancaster. You got brothers and sisters. Yeah, I got eight. Eight. Oh, yeah. My goodness, I have eight as well. That's incredible. Oh, really? Yeah, I do. Well, Why are you with the totem pole? Well, okay, so. Uh, some of them are like step siblings and stuff, uh, you know, and half siblings. So I want to make sure that that's, I guess, on the record, so people don't look at my family history and be like, "That dude's lying." But, <laughs> but I guess if you put, if you put us all together, there are nine of us, and I'm second oldest. What about you? Okay. Uh, well, everyone is at least like a like a half sibling. So I mean, I still count them just because yeah, all, most of us grew up together. So yeah, like, we all know. grew up together too. Yeah. I mean, still my siblings, but um. I am actually the perfect middle child. I'm, I'm number five, uh, so I have four older, and I have four, yeah. So <laughs> much like J. Cole, <laughs> I'm the middle child. Family, perfect. So. Yeah. What did your parents do? Uh, my mother uh, is disabled, and then my father is a set dresser for the film industry. Okay. I don't know what what's a set dresser. Fill, if you can fill me in, tell me a little bit about what that is. Yeah, so it's like uh, take the show like Brooklyn Nine Nine for instance. Yeah, know? I love that show. Yeah, okay. yeah. So like the the desks and like the sets, you know, he yeah. he like gets that like to be created and like set mm-hmm. up and like you know for use for the like the actors and the the yeah. you know everything like that. Dude, that's super cool. That's yeah, a really no, cool I mean, job. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's definitely really freaking time every time he you know takes me on set um i have just a really great time just kind of like seeing you know a lot, a lot more behind the scenes stuff of you know production and um you know i got to meet uh just a couple people that way you know and um it's just it's a really interesting job considering that like you really don't know how much background work goes into making uh production actually happen and i mean it's not even just like you know set dressers or um or lighting or anything but like the accounting <laughs> like all the the pa stuff that kind of happens behind the scenes so you're just able to like get a, a deeper appreciation i think for like how these productions are put on that's super cool so you got your ba right at the university of of california santa cruz mm-hmm. forgive me like i guess i'm just not up on my west coast geography <laughs> but how far away from your home is 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 where you went to college at santa cruz uh, I think Santa Cruz is probably like five hours five away hours. from the, in the northern direction. Okay, and what led you north to uh, to Santa Cruz? Well, my older brother used to go to Santa Cruz, and he would tell me stories about it. And so uh, I always got intrigued, you know, kind of from that, you know, about that school from him. Yeah. Um, and then when it was just time to come applying, um, I only applied to a couple ones, and I got into all of them. But um, I just kind of like wanted to see you know, what the school was like. So I took a visit up to Santa Cruz and um, I just immediately just fell in love with it, you know, because, I mean, for me, I grew up in a desert. So being able to take, you know, a bus ride and all of a sudden I'm going from a forest to the beach was like incredible to me. I never had understood that biome before. <laughs> you know, And so um, I think just that combination of just, you know, beautiful landscape and then how the school itself is situated because it's on a huge hill and there's you know all this forest that's in between it um i think just that uh, it gave me like a sense of adventure or exploration and i think that was uh 
really vital for me at that part of my life. Man, you're making me want to go to Santa Cruz for sure. <laughs> Should. It's the so, best school of all time. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to tell me, what made you decide to, to focus on literature? And what kind of things did you study while you were there? So when I was a kid, I mean, I've always been drawn to literature since I was a kid. And um, I grew up, you know, uh, pretty socially awkward and kind of distant from people just because, you know, a combination of what was going on at home and you know, who I was as a person and my interests and just kind of, you know, how I navigated um, the micro society that children, you know, occupy. Um, and I, it's just something I was always drawn to. I loved reading. I loved understanding, you know, abstract thoughts in terms of characterizations and concepts and all these things that I think, like, could always be related from the personal to the universal and that kind of relationship was always something I was interested in and so and I was also just kind of good at I was just good at it. So I think you're you're naturally drawn to things that you're good at and so um yeah so I mean it started when I was young and I just kept you know I was I was a voracious reader you know I was uh I don't know if you ever had those things in, in school called like the accelerated reading program or whatever oh yeah. But, yeah 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 so like for us, you know, I was just I was just tearing through books, taking those tests and, you know, getting like my little roadrunner to go along in this like little field they had created about for AR. And uh, I don't know. It's just like I just found like myself just like, you know, as soon as I would put down one book, I'd pick up the next. So, yeah. So what did you do after you graduated from uh, UC Santa Cruz? Oh, man, I <laughs> I, uh, I bounced around. I I did some education work, you know, I worked for like a couple like tutoring companies and stuff like that. And then I was living in San Jose at the time after I graduated. So, you know, it's Silicon Valley. So, um, just kind of got a quote unquote normal job. <laughs> and then, uh, just kind of worked my way up in different industries and just seeing what was out there. You know, I'm the type of person where it's like, I really want to just experience different things just to get the skills, you know, from them or just to see how that line of work, um, is conducted. So, you know, I mean, at the very least, I just get more informed about, you know, how to deal with these people or, or what, you know, people in this sector, are, you know, doing. And so, um, I did that for a while. And so I got accepted into grad school, which was in, uh, 2019. And then, um, I've been in Colorado ever since. So you got to indulge me a little bit here, if you will. You don't have to, you know, name names or be specific. But like you say, you just Silicon Valley, got a normal job. Like, I'm intrigued. Like, when people say got a normal job, what does that mean? Like, what what were you, what kind of work were you doing? You, what, and, and then, uh, and also a second part of that question is what type of writing are you doing at this mm. time as well? Well, I call it a normal job when it's like, because <laughs> I think us as academics or people that like want to pursue art, right. I think, yeah. I think, you know, for us, there's like this kind of, uh, you know, industry of where it's like, okay, it's office work that you see in television. <laughs> and then it's like actually things that you want to do, you know, and I think sometimes those things can line up, but not usually, you know, when you're an artist. And so um, that's what I mean when I'm saying like, quote unquote, normal job. Um, Man, I think but, you um, nailed it. Like, <laughs> by the way, like that's a great response. <laughs> but uh, when it comes to uh, what I write about, um, my work is it, it's been really interesting going to graduate school because I've had this experience and I've had this language in my body and soul of things that have you know happened to me or or 
concepts and structures that I can observe, but I didn't really have the language that I needed in order to describe them. And so when I got to graduate school, I just, you know, fell even deeper into my discipline and learning about things like trauma theory and hauntology and um, just reading these kinds of texts that would make, would be so formative in my own academic career now. And so a lot of my writing is centered around um, African-American and Native uh, critical ethnic studies, hauntology, trauma theory. Uh, a lot of my writing is kind of based upon this uh, this really palpable well that I think a lot of people have within them that kind of deepens with every kind of formative experience that they have in their lives, whether good or bad. And I think that for me, that well is, is what I create from and, and how I write. And so I've, I've always been able to kind of like tap into that kind of, uh, you know, growing up and, and now that I'm an adult going into graduate school and, you know, hopefully getting my, P, you know, hopefully on the road to my PhD next year. Um, it's, it's just, you, you start to see things differently, I think, when you really commit yourself to a discipline. And um, for me, that's how, that's what literature is for me. It's not just something I study, it's how I see the world. And um, I don't know how to access the world in any other way except through literature. Uh, kind of a moving answer there. Uh, I think that for many of us, we're going to say yes, yes, yes. What Alexander is saying about how we see the world, right? Um, all of us socially awkward English majors, <laughs> <laughs> we're checking that box, right? So I want to talk more about your academic uh, writing, but let's talk a little bit about your public facing writing as well. Okay. Um, what are some of the topics that you've covered and where can listeners seek out some of the writing that you've published online? Um, so I have a couple of um, Huffington Post blog articles that people can check out. I mean, if you, you can really just type in Huffington Post blog, Alexander Williams. And I'm the only, I should be the only one that comes up <laughs> last time I checked. <laughs> um, so that's some of mine. And then, you know, like I'll be finishing my thesis this semester. And I think uh, when you finish your thesis, that's available for public download as well. Um, and then, um, I mean, I have a conference paper that is due Tuesday that I've been kind of stressing out about. <laughs> I've been working my butt off. Or, so uh, people will be able to check that out as well. And um, so I guess I'd like to answer like your, your first kind of question. Um, I mean, a lot of the topics that I seem to write that I write about are based in like psychology. I'm very interested in the psychology of things, the the psychology of racism, the psychology of fear, the psychology of um, writing itself, you know, and, and I'm always interested in seeing how it works and understanding why something has become what it is, you know, because more often times than not, when we see something it's often the result of a cumulative period of decisions or events or all these things that have transpired and um a lot of the times we don't get to see you know that kind of illumination happen in a lot of things and and i'm interested in, in learning and understanding more about people about things and about this world around us because you know i mean I don't know about you, but I feel like I experience a lot of other things that people aren't able to and vice versa. And I think those experiences that we're not able to share in are important because they help inform your worldview just as they do for me. Um, and, I th and I think that th that kind of mindset is important when we're trying to keep in mind of, of just how to get along as you know better human beings in this world. You know, I mean, there's so much kind of stuff going up against us, you know. Um, 
particularly, you know, in these kinds of times. And, um, I mean, hell, man, if we're going to fucking survive climate change, then we got to we gotta band together. We got to get this, you know, these things over with. And so Civility, uh, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Civility, right? Well, I think so, you know. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, and, and honestly, that's how I try to, like, literature is how I try to make the world a better place. And so that's, I'm, I'm just trying to live up to my responsibility. So you you seem to be a person who has mastered the title. Uh, so some of your some of your your blog posts uh, are like captivating just from the title. I want to read them. Um, so I want to ask you about a couple of them if you don't yeah. mind. Um, yeah. So one of them is Drake, the rapper we deserve, but not the rapper we need. What's your main argument in that piece, and what can readers expect? You know what's really funny is that like when I put that out there, uh, so I, I should put this disclaimer because a lot of people will just write it off as like hating, <laughs> and I'm not hating on Drake when I was writing that piece because a, as a musician myself, he's one of my biggest influences. So that's just straight up, and I respect the man uh, for I mean everything that he's done in, in the rap rap game and just in general for uh, light skin brothers <laughs> in today's world. So. Um, I want to definitely put that out there. But what I'm, what I was looking to accomplish in writing that is to just put to light the responsibility that rappers not necessarily have to abide by in terms of, you know, how they exercise the power that is available to them. Because a lot of the times, you know, it's like being a role model is a like or any person where it's like. You know, you have a social responsibility to inspire change or to enact change. A lot, I mean, that's not always, I think, a responsibility that a person has to, quote unquote, live up to. Because if they didn't sign up to be a role model, then why are we placing that kind of responsibility on them? If, they, if they're not, you know, accepting or if they're not looking to exercise that those kinds of uh, modalities. So um, I think for, so for me, I was just trying to call attention to the kind of the, the larger question of like, what social responsibility do rappers have? Is there a social responsibility in rap? How can we see that kind of today? And it was funny because I wrote that, and um, that was like before like God's Plan and everything came out. And then uh, he had that video where he was just like handing out money to all these people and stuff. So it was a really, it was a very interestingly timed and how I wrote that, and then some of the kind of like the community stuff that we see Drake doing, but. I think it also just goes to show you the kind of uh, complexity of of rap and, and how people interact with rappers because um, a lot of the times, you know, there is this just prevailing, you know, thug stereotype that gets applied to rappers. And, you know, when, when you only are able to see things through a stereotype, you're not able to see the humanity behind them. And um, that kind of dynamic is also what I kind of wanted to call attention to when writing that. I want to pick your brain on one more uh, mixed feelings, mixed race, a path to freedom is the title of this of this piece. Uh, what's your what's your argument there, and what what can readers expect? Well, I mean, there it's that's just another I guess uh, plea to to kind of see uh, maybe a section of the world that you know people um, don't realize is kind of happening. And in terms of that specific article, what I mean by that is just um, the ire that mixed couples draw, not just from, you know, white America at large, but from their own communities, you know, and I mean, that's something that 
happened to my mother and my father, you know, in the early 1990s, you know, in Burbank, Southern California, next to L.A. And uh, the same things that they were told back then were things I've been told in my own interracial relationships. And it's just stuff that it's like, come on, like, why are we why are we doing why are we participating in these same kind of toxic structures that you know, we're being subjugated to, you know, and so it's, it's, it's a look at not only of how we're treating others, but how are we treating ourselves? And it's just, it's just a, a call to, to be better. You know, I mean, uh, I shouldn't have to feel incredibly uncomfortable, you know, um, holding hands with a white girl in Orange County, you know, I mean, that, that, like, come on, like, we're, this is 2021. 20, so like, this, that's not, <laughs> you know, the move, but it, it's just, it's just really sad because I think, you know, people think that we have reached so much progress in America. And then there are things like the capital coup and and th- things that I wrote about in my article that kind of let you know that like now we're, we're still in very much in this transitionary phase, just, you know, kind of watching history unfold around us. And it's just are we going to be doing our part to just creating a better history for, you know, people in future textbooks to read? So how do you take the things that you write about in your public rhetoric, your blogs, things like race and rap, how do you take those things and infuse them into your academic writing, the writing you might be doing for your master's thesis Mm -hmm. or the things you do in the classroom? So, uh, I mean, I I guess it'd be probably fair to say that like rap is, I guess, my uh, academic main focus you know that's that's really where a lot of my writing lies i mean my thesis right now is uh discussing childish gambino and his importance in um american culture and uh black communities so let's uh, stop right there and give, <laughs> let's stop right there and give that more attention uh if you don't mind yeah no, I, I, your brain I'll, a little bit i'll uh, talk to about childish gambino for hours <laughs> <laughs> so what so if that's your master's project tell us tell us okay two 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 parts Mm-hmm. Why this project? Okay. And what are you actually doing? <laughs> <laughs> so this project uh, has been conceived probably actually during my time in uh, UC Santa Cruz. Um, I mean, Childish Gambino is, to be extremely blunt, like partly a reason why I exist. You know, I mean, like the I, when I when I first discovered him, I was like, 17 18 i just graduated high school i was transitioning and going to community college and there's just all this uh kind of insurmountable like emotions and and actions that i was trying to deal with you know trying to get out of lancaster because lancaster is very much one of those cities where it's like if you don't get out you just get stuck you know and then you're just kind of having to you know navigate the very economically limited waters of the of the town and um I know and like you know I wasn't one of those people that just was comfortable with just staying you know in the same place where I grew up like forever like that's just was not an option to me and um the very first song I listened to of his was uh, Freaks and Geeks and I watched the music video <laughs> and uh, I mean, I know people will say this a, a lot about other things, but I mean, literally, it, it changed my life, you know, because the music video is just him rapping, like just to the camera, and that's it. And he's just, he's just going ham, and to see the fervor, the the passion that you know he was he was demonstrating, you know, it's just it's just him in his hoodie just rapping, and the, the 
thought of that music video was was so pure to me and, and the concept was so um alluring that it just it really brought me into like understanding how i get into music because growing up i mean you know, my dad would have bounced me on his, you know, knee and we'd listen to R&B and, and soul and all this kind of stuff. And, and I, I always had this innate uh, connection to music, but I never understood, like, how I was going to develop it. You know, like, did band a little bit in middle school, you know, drum, drum line and everything, but I never developed any, like, actual skill. <laughs> so I was kind of just, you know, uh, along for the ride. But um, when I listened to him, I was like, oh, I can do rap. Like that's like that's like that's kind of like what my uh, I guess like foray into music is going to be is this through this art form. And so um, in my thesis, I just kind of, you know, analyze Childish Gambino's journey from being an outcast to kind of the king of pop culture of what he is today. And and how if you were listening to his music from early on, you would have seen all of this coming because I did. I mean, I'm listening to Cul-de-Sac to Sick Boy, Pawn Dexter his uh, I Am Just a Rapper mixtapes, which actually is the title of my uh, thesis, I, I Am Just a Rapper. And um, it's you can you can see that there's such a level of intelligence and prognostication that was not that just wasn't very, I guess, widely seen in rap or at least in, in the mainstream. And I think that Childish Gambino is amazing because he was he he fulfills the quote unquote smart black guy stereotype, and so a lot of his but you know I mean it worked at his detriment because a lot of people just didn't take him seriously. You know they thought he was just a comedian. You know and just like this guy that you know happened to rap who did writing you know and acting instead of you know uh, the kind of renaissance man that he's celebrated to be now. And so um, kind of charting that course from you know being an outcast to. Uh, you know, being the king of pop culture for me is like kind of very reminiscent of him fulfilling uh, the requirements of Plato's philosopher king. And, you know, and so when we talk about rap as a philosophy or as rappers, as philosophers, you know, I think we enter a space with that kind of commentary that should really kind of shape our engagement with the art and not only with the art, but with the artists and the human themselves that are creating it. And I and I know that. um just getting deeper into you know his discography and then just you know undergoing rap myself it teaches you so much about like who you actually are and what you want to see in this world and and the kind of responsibility that if any you know that you feel as an artist whether that's just putting out stuff to add it to the canon or you know other avenues like academic writing to kind of showcase this importance of studying something you know critically and in the classroom and when it comes to, you know, using rap in the classroom, um, it's I mean, it, it, hip hop is such a unique vehicle to to teach. Whether that's, you know, you're trying to teach somebody language arts skills, so you use, you know, hip hop lyrics to kind of show them like alliteration and figurative language and, uh, and uh, analogies and stuff like that. Or you just are able to connect with them through the content of the rap and the 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 democratic nature of it you know when you just start a cypher and you get and everyone's going and everyone's hopping in for you know eight bars here 16 here or even four here you know there's there's an immediate sense of community and belonging and and when that kind of thing happens we gotta you know analyze it because you know every time that there's a community created there's people that are going to be excluded from that community and so um just kind of being able to bridge those gaps i think is really what motivates me in um 
my in my own you know artistic and musical pursuits but also in like my academic ones so i'm supposing if you know rap and music is the focus of your your thesis then it's also something that you bring into the classroom um so what are some of the ways that you bring uh your academic pursuits into the classroom into the writing classroom or the literature classroom yeah, well, I mean, so like I said, um, it's just being able to use hip hop as an educational vehicle. So um, for um, in my experience, you know, I've used I've used it in various ways to teach, you know, language arts skills and, you know, English. And um, I also would, you know, TA for uh, hip hop studies class. So, you know, just all we learned about was rap. So just being able to then also in that kind of format, like I said, just be able to showcase the you know human side of these rappers because oftentimes all we see is you know what's in like people magazine or what's in what's on world star hip-hop or you know all these kind of media outlets that just kind of have their own narrative and their own agenda to paint a certain picture you know and so um you know i think when we really get down to like who people are and you know what kind of persona is being elicited here then i think we can really kind of start to understand how these people that are around us that have such an influence in our lives are actually, you know, a lot more connected to us than we realize. And so in the class and then in the classroom, you know, using hip hop is also just a great way of, of, you know, getting students to feel empowered, you know, like they have a, some kind of agency. Um, it's particularly useful in ethnography and, you know, and getting students to understand the, um, the academic and the real life importance of understanding where they come from and, and how to navigate the world and, you know, uh, develop, uh, you know, like interviewing skills and oratory uh, abilities that, you know, will help them further on in life, whether, you know, they choose to pursue music or not. Um, so I think it's, it's you know, rap is just very powerful in the way that it can deliver a story and how it allows the rapper to um, paint the narrative that they choose to. All you damn niggas better get it together. Already fucked and I barely even met her. Black cat and Mary Jane, you know I let her drink in my cup and a whiskey sweater. Jordan Would you like to join Charles in the Big Rhetorical Podcast? The podcast is booking for next season now. The Big Rhetorical Podcast offers participants the opportunity to contribute to ongoing conversations within our disciplines and beyond. This record of conversations eventually will be a digital archive with the potential to impact the knowledge making in rhetoric, writing studies, and technical communication, as well as adjacent fields. Do you have a new book coming out? Are you hitting the job market this cycle? The Big Rhetorical Podcast wants to talk to you. The Big Rhetorical Podcast core ideals are similar to a community-based writing project, with an emphasis on inclusivity and in localizing knowledge and in strengthening relationships among peers. Make sure to check out our back catalog of episodes, as well as listen to our new podcast each week wherever you listen to your podcast. If you have questions about The Big Rhetorical Podcast, please submit a form at the website www.thebigrhetoricalpodcast.weebly.com. You can also find The Big Rhetorical Podcast on Twitter at The Big Ret. Follow the podcast on Facebook or email us at thebigrhetorical at gmail.com. Live
level of the bar where I'ma cut above the grade. I got two years left, ain't no time for silly games. I want money and respect, don't give a fuck about the fame. Alexander the Great, put some respect on my name. Am I the one you want, the one you long for? The so I gotta ask, uh, as we kind of move forward, um, what what's it been like to go through the majority of your graduate experience uh, during a pandemic? Kind of oh. shift gears a little bit. Um, how's it been going this year? Uh, how are you hanging in there and stuff like that? <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, uh, it's been really great in certain aspects and it's been really terrible in others. And, you know, maybe that kind of mirrors what a lot of other people have been going through, but, um, it's in terms of like learning going to class, it's been uh, hell because I am not a good online learner at all. I, I don't. That's just not how my learning style fits. You know, like I got to be in the class. I got to talk to people. I got I got to feed off that energy, you know, and I got to um, I got to kind of just contribute to that the best I can. But um, in other areas, you know, in terms of like, um, you know, like going to conferences or, you know, just like doing more like educational outreach or any of those, any of that kind of area, you know, when it comes to graduate school, that's been fantastic, you know, and just been just being able to really feel like you're making a change at an institution, you know, is, is always a goal of mine at every school that I go to. And um, it's just amazing to, you know, kind of also see just this, this area, you know, um, of of United States and so beautiful in Colorado. You know, it's it's just amazing how, you know, lucky I've been able to be to wake up and, you know, just see mountains again. And, you know, it reminds me of kind of Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz is obviously more foresty, but <laughs> um, yeah. And um, so, I mean, I think a lot of people also are struggling with like the isolation and just feeling like there's so much Zoom stuff going on. And I don't know about other people, but for me, I feel like <laughs> I'm now starting to like, uh devolve into like this zoom persona that i have and then like who i am as like an actual person you know and, yeah. uh, i know That's that a funny. lot of students are tired of it you know and they see and well, a friend of mine was telling me that last semester sometimes he would just lecture to like blank screens because like no one would have their cameras on so it's like i think the experience varies for a lot of other people but um i think everyone else is tired of you know not being able to go back to quote unquote to how things used to be um so hopefully this vaccine rollout solves that because i i can't i can't do it anymore <laughs> so what's next what are you uh continuing your academic career or um what's next well in february march i should be able to find out what phd programs i got into so that will kind of determine next steps but um I just feel it in my bones that I think uh, move back to Cali is probably the move. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm excited for that. Uh, I'm very, like I said, literature is how I see the world. So going back to California to me is kind of poetic because it's the the prodigal prince, you know, kind of returns. And so now it's about moving from, you know, uh, you know, learning that I have to fight scar to take over pride rock to actually being king you know and those are those are two different steps involved <laughs> and uh i'm excited for that you know i mean i i'm i'm really just excited to see what else you know there is to be lived and, and you know what else there is to do and um for me I'm, always, I'm i'm a big sucker for just experiencing something you know i mean there are oftentimes you know i'll take a job or i'll take class or 
get invested in a group just to like learn what that thing is like even if i suck at it or even if i have no interest in it you know at all in terms of oh i did this and you know now i don't like it <laughs> like i mean you know having experienced so many different areas as you kind of go through your life is really important because for me like I, I always have to feel like i'm gonna i'm growing towards something you know there has to be some kind of progress whether that's just like in a hobby of mine or professionally or academically you know i have to feel like I'm moving towards something because I'm, I'm drawn to purpose, you know, and I'm drawn to, to fulfilling these like very, um, conscious like moves that we make in order to fulfill this grand plan that we have for ourselves. So it's just about taking the steps necessary to do that. With that question, What's next for your scholarship? Where do you hope to go with that after studying Childish Gambino? Uh, where else do you hope to go and study? Uh, so, I mean, so after thesis, you know, with the PhD will come dissertation. So, um, I mean, I'm going to be writing about uh, the black male rapper in my dissertation and kind of charting a little bit more of what I was talking about in my thesis about just kind of. Uh, looking at the black male rapper through a kind of a sociological or, a psycho- or a psychological lens and, you know, combining, you know, uh, history and ethnic studies into understanding the construct and, you know, where exactly does, the, you know, the spirit behind rap, where, where, where was that melded? Where was that formed? And just kind of charting the, uh, you know, hunt, the centuries year old, you know, oral tradition of Africa that, you know, rap, you know, comes from. And um, just being able to explore more about that kind of artistic ability, because I think rap is and just kind of other art forms is so important to understand because art teaches us about ourselves. So the more we understand the modalities of art, I think we just, you know, are able to kind of further understand the tools that are available to us to um, exude our humanity. And um, as far as what else is in, you know, my, uh, I guess my, my, my pursuits is just, you know, being able to kind of explore other areas of, of academia that I'm interested in. I'm really interested in uh, pop culture studies and film studies. So, you know, I got a paper of, about Sons of Anarchy that I'm excited to write eventually. <laughs> I got a paper uh, about uh, the Lion King that I'm excited to kind of tone down and see if I can get that published. So um, I, I got a lot of film and media studies and, and pop culture stuff in the work. What advice do you give or would you say to academics who want to teach hip hop in the writing classroom? Like, how do you go about doing that? Uh, well, I mean, the advice that I would give people is just like, number one, always like believe in yourself. You know, I mean, I would not have gotten to where I am today if, if I didn't believe that there is an inherent need for the work that I was doing, you know, and, and sometimes that need, you know, isn't being validated by your peers or by your professors or, you know, by your people in your life or whatever. Um, but it's you got to you got to understand that there is a reason why you're drawn to this work and why this, you know, you, you see that this work needs to be done is because it does. You know, I mean, I think when people have a such a palpable urge to create it's usually because it needs to be created you know and and, um, that's the kind of responsibility that i see not only as an artist but as an educator you know is to to educate um in every best way that i can it's kind of like almost like a hippocratic oath or something (laughs) and uh 
for me, it's just I think that's it's important for people to always continuously believe that what they're doing is important and to to move with that kind of energy. And then also just like to not be afraid to to mess up or not being afraid to see, you know, what kind of uh, personality gets, you know, emerges from, from, from fostering this thing in a classroom. You know, I can tell you in my time of, you know, uh, using hip hop as like a learning modality, it's so much fun seeing these people that are like really like good freestylers just do it that you don't actually expect. And then like the other students in the class kind of like rally around them. And then you, and you get this just really, um, like great fostering of like positivity and, and this way that students are not only able to access the material, but now they're also able to access each other because when they come back in the classroom next week, you know, after we just did this freestyling activity, they're going to, everyone knows who the, who the good freestylers are now and they want to sit by them and they want to talk to them and, and that, you know, inspires their own, you know, interactions with each other and so i mean and that, that's really what i think is so important about rap is is its ability to connect people and um i, I mean i love being able to to study that you know i feel i feel incredibly privileged and lucky to, to to be at the spot that i'm at um and because of that i i don't intend on wasting it you know and and just yeah. being able to um do what i can to make this world a better place what about educators who aren't creators like you, right? Mm. Who aren't musicians? What would you say to them about making that jump and incorporating hip hop in the classroom? Well, I mean, you know, I think it, it, it's what's interesting is that we're we're having a lot of you know buttoning hip hop scholarship that's just happening in the mainstream in terms of you know academia and, and education, and so I think you know for them it it just be being able to see what other tools are available to them in or you know and so it's like just seeing oh well you know if i'm trying to um you know teach this specific point then it's like okay well i know that you know kendrick lamar is hot right now how can i incorporate that you know and just just you know having the same open mind that i think it takes to have to being an educator you know you can it's just like anything, you know, are you going to use a worksheet or are you going to use a rap song? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's it's just learning what, you know, tools are available to you. And then also reading the room, you know, like what, what, what do your students like? Who are, what do they like as people, you know, and um, what, you know, are they interested in? What, and not just, you know, in terms of what music they like or stuff, but like what drives them to do the things that they do, you know, because that's always something I've been trying, I've always been trying to keep in the forefront of my mind as I teach and as I go about my my uh, academic career is just understanding motivations and, and, you know, how people got to be the way that they are and um, what we can do to, you know, just be better. And um, that's really, I think, what, what is at the core of everything is just, again, just like, you know, connecting people. So I do this thing in my classes where I don't bring in necessarily like hip hop exclusively, but our icebreaker activity is creating a Spotify playlist together. So everyone, like, yeah. So like everyone like adds, yeah, yeah. Everyone adds a song to the playlist. And so it kind of is a unique way to like gauge, not only like individual, you know, identity, mm-hmm. but also class community identity and things like that. Um, you know, sometimes the songs are like questionable. 
<laughs> well, you like that? <laughs> and uh, but but for the most part, I think that's that's a cool way to to kind of bring in some music and stuff into the classroom uh, as someone who's not a musician. So my question to you then is, as a musician, right? Uh, do you consider yourself a creator? Do you release music or anything like that? Um, uh, I do, and it's it's really strange because um, as I've kind of gotten deeper in my artistry, I've uh, ha- have a very strange relationship to it because it's like uh, I don't broadcast it really. Like I, I keep so I keep my music on the low low, and <laughs> um, it's funny because like my students would be like, oh well, how come you haven't shown us some of your music or whatever? And I'm like, well, if, to me, I feel like that's crossing the line. You know, like okay. if you discover it on your own, then go ahead, and listen to it. You know, and we can talk about it. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna broadcast it. You know, because to me, I'm not like I don't create music to like make money or to like gain notoriety or fame or anything like that. Like, I create music that I feel like needs to be created because. You know, hopefully one day, you know, so I'm able to have the impact on somebody that Charles Gambino had on me, you know, and I mean, um, you know, it, and also just like understanding that, like, you know, like, you know, what, what really brought me to him was just understanding that he, he's coming at rap and at at film and and acting and comedy through through writing, you know, like writing was his forte. And that's what got him, you know, to be able to branch out and all these different things. And so for, you know, someone like me with, you know, such a literary kind of background, you know, seeing how he was able to manifest, you know, literary theory and all these traditions in these various art forms is inspiring. And, and, um, I try to, I try to just, you know, employ that same approach in my classroom of just also letting students know, you know, whether they're, you know, artists or not, you know, maybe they're an econ major or psychology major or whatever, just telling them like, hey, like, you know, don't be afraid to think outside the box too, or, or don't be afraid to, to like, you know, uh, quote unquote, feel like you're, you know, you're, you're like an outcast because you're choosing to go around your discipline this way, you know, and everything, because more oftentimes than not, like, you know, this kind of innovation that you feel like you're being a part of is going to be a trend 20 years later or something, you know, and, and sometimes you're too close to the elephant to see that he's, that you're in a forest. So, um, I think that for me, uh, you know, I have it, 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 I, I have to create music just to kind of satisfy that part of myself. But, um, it's something that I think is also really troubling because I'm now having this dynamic where I'm much more vulnerable and honest in my music than I am like with people. And when that's when that starts, then 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 there's like this interesting thing of like, okay, well, now I kind of need this music in order to to, you know, to to have the space to be me. And if you don't have the space to be you other than, you know, music, then you're just going to keep going back to it because, you know, we're all human. So we all need to be able to, you know, share our stories and share what we're going through. So um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's also it's also a really interesting thing because it's like. Uh, <laughs> there's like that dynamic where you can't tell if people like or saying that they like something because they like you or because they actually like the art itself. You know what I mean? And so there's always that weird kind of dynamic where if it's like you know, and Charles gave me was talked about this before, where you create a song and you know like, are you actually like like gonna show somebody or are you just gonna allow them to kind of find it themselves because if they find it themselves and they're like, oh man, that's a really great song. It's, it's just more genuine, you know, rather than you trying to get them to listen to it. And they're like, oh yeah, I like that. And then, you know, you kind of, uh, 
you know, not immediately questioning like their whether or not they do, but there's always that kind of hesitation of like understanding, you know, what part of you people are willing to accept. And so um, I think that that kind of dynamic is something that, you know, a lot of people may experience as they kind of um, complicate their, you know, uh, their discographies and their artistic pursuits. So pass me a Snickers tapes. These drugs got me feeling good and now I'm all confused. I was born to be a king. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alexander Williams. It was nice to chat with him. And can someone get this guy in a PhD program? Look for some exciting news coming up from the big rhetorical podcast in the coming weeks. And oh yeah, the big rhetorical podcast wants to talk to you. If you have a book, a project, an interesting topic to talk about, reach out to us as we are now booking guests into season five. You can find more information about the Big Rhetorical Podcast at our website, thebigrhetoricalpodcast.weebly.com, and follow us on Twitter at the Big Red. Leave us a five-star rating and write a review to help us enhance visibility on podcast platforms. Until next time, always be listening rhetorically.